0: And so what we've realized is that Black Americans, and again, not just black Americans, but minority Americans, and forget minority Americans, Americans in general yeah. have a true champion yeah. in President Trump. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Finally,
0: we have a real president that really goes down to the structural issues that are plaguing America and really, really going line by line and restructuring what has worked for America and making our system great again. Hi guys and welcome back to episode 4 of the official House of Dimash podcast. I'm Ariel Dimash
2: and Zane here and we are so excited because we are going to continue where we left off last time on what has Trump done for minorities. We were running a little bit long on our last <laughs> podcast. We were at the one hour mark. We try to keep it around the one hour mark. But we just had so much content to get through
0: because he's done so many things for minorities and we just wanted to make sure to cover at least the most important parts of what he's done.
2: So we will try to keep today's podcast around the one hour mark, fingers crossed. But before we begin, if you haven't done so already, please make sure to subscribe. And hit that notification bell so you can know when our next podcast, our next
0: videos come out. And we've also received a few messages from people saying that YouTube has dropped them from our subscriber list. So if you've already subscribed, please make sure to check that you're still subscribed. All right, Ariel, are we ready to get into it? Absolutely. So just to build on what we were just talking about in terms of giving people the opportunities to educate themselves and succeed later in life, we found that the Minority Business Development Agency, which is an agency of the United States Department of Commerce that promotes growth and competitiveness of the United States minority-owned businesses, including Hispanic and Latino American, uh, Asian, Pacific American, African American, and Native American businesses, announced millions of dollars in awards to HBCUs and other minority educational institutions. Now, again, we broke it down in detail in our last um, podcast, but President Trump signed legislation that provided $255 million of permanent, this is permanent annual funding for HBCUs, uh, historically black colleges and universities, and other minority-serving institutions. So this is something that really is changing people's lives for generations, and it's a multi-generational effect. Oh, definitely. And the reality is that the Trump administration is on track to become the greatest champion for HBCUs and other minority-serving institutions ever! with its continued support and budgetary increases, with the help of the 115th GOP-controlled Congress. Yeah. So, it's just kind of funny that we're constantly <laughs> hearing how Republicans are racist, how they don't care about minorities, how racist this administration is, yet this administration and the GOP-controlled Congress and Senate are actually being the greatest champions for these institutions ever! <laughs> ever!
2: Like we said before, it doesn't matter what people say, it's what you do. It's it really your, is! It's your actions. What are you doing?
0: It really is. And what Trump is doing is he's leading the efforts in making HBCUs a national priority. Yeah. And the great thing is that Republicans are following suit. Yeah. They're following him in his agenda. To help minority workers and minority people in general.
2: And this is exactly what makes him such a great leader.
0: It does because he's expanding education and training opportunities to everyone. From people incarcerated to people just starting out their lives, going to elementary school, to even childcare, to people in the workforce being able to move up in the world. Yeah. And he's doing this by negotiating better trade deals for the American people after years of our country being taken advantage of. Yeah. And it's funny because I remember Democrats and just international forces in general just really trying to push this narrative that our great negotiator is not a great negotiator at all. And that he's really not only not benefiting American workers, but he's actually harming them. Yeah. But the reality is that he's been able to negotiate the U.S.-Mexico Canada Agreement, or the U.S.-MCA that replaced the outdated NAFTA Agreement, the North American Free Trade Agreement, yeah. um, which was signed under Clinton and supported by Biden. And it's a really big deal because the USMCA includes tremendous wins for the American workers, farmers, and manufacturers because it's generating over $68 billion in economic activity and creating 176,000 new jobs. Now, again, these are part of the jobs that we were told were never coming back. right? These are the jobs that are in farming, but also manufacturing. These are American vehicles being made in America, but also vehicles that are sold in the US being made here in the US as opposed to being made in Mexico or other places. And that's a really big deal because it it really breaks down this narrative that these jobs are not coming back and they're nowhere. And I think that the media really did us a disservice because they helped push this narrative that because of automation and because of cheaper labor abroad, these people who are left behind are basically, they just, you know, we we have to be okay with this. We have to come to terms with the fact that large segments of our population are not going to be able to succeed and they're going to be left behind and Trump just shattered that idea into yeah. million little pieces yeah Um, you know, and again, it's in every sector, right? It's in every sector. And it's fascinating, because it's not picking and choosing one company to help its entire industries. Mm -hmm. And that is where that difference between a business mindset versus a community organizer or a lifelong politician like Biden. Yeah, right. And, um, you know, part of what we've seen that really helped the American workers aside from the USMCA agreement was also the two agreements that he's negotiated with Japan, which boosted America's agricultural and digital trade, were the world's third largest economy. And thanks to his efforts, Japan actually opened its market to approximately seven billion dollars in American agricultural exports. Uh, which is tremendous for minorities working in agriculture. Oh yeah. Right? And we know in, in you know California, yeah. you know, most of the people who are working in agriculture are minorities. Yeah. So this is a really, really big deal because this is what's providing these jobs. Mm-hmm. In reality, he's building coalitions to help minorities everywhere. He's yeah. building massive coalitions to help bring back black America and minorities into the fold of corporate America. Mm-hmm. And the way that he's done it is by, for example, working with the Rainbow Push Foundation, which is a non-profit organization that pursues social justice, civil rights, and political activism. It's fascinating because it was formed as a merger of 2 nonprofit organizations founded by, da da, 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 da no other than <laughs> Jesse, Jesse Jackson. Jackson. <laughs> so so it's kind of interesting right he's yeah. founded both the operation push and the national rainbow coalition which together made the rainbow push foundation yeah um, so i mean you know people who are saying he can't work across the aisle i mean jesse jackson yeah <laughs> that's what he's doing yeah. to put americans back to work and specifically not just americans but minority americans back to work yeah So in effect, his presidency transformed the crime-ridden inner cities with business development and middle-class jobs in the manufacturing and construction sectors through better trade deals and infrastructure projects. And it's really sad to see that these cities are now regressing and losing all of the benefits and improvements that Trump has worked so hard for them to enjoy because of progressive special interests that are inciting violence and disorder within these communities.
2: Well, I mean, this is why they're doing it on purpose, because it's like then Trump to
0: win they are and that's i, I think that's kind of the sad yeah. part right is yeah. because you know these people who are supposed to represent these communities yeah. right are basically doing it on purpose and regressing their lives just so that they could win an election yeah. and it's now gotten so bad where the leaders of these cities yeah. like the leader of chicago are actually now stepping up finally and saying hey guys wait a second <laughs> this is going a little too far we're not ready for this yeah but it's too late Yes, yeah, too late <laughs> It's too late now. And so really the only way to I think get out of this horrible and really sad situation is to reform now these inner cities from within and these are really progressive cities who have just wasted their resources of what their communities had to offer and squandered the resources that the federal government has given to them through embezzlement and corruption at these cities (laughs) and it's just sad because you know these are coming from progressive cities (laughs) progressive areas I honestly think it's it's no surprise that a lot of these progressive cities like Chicago, like San Francisco, like Los Angeles, you know, cities that have, like New York, cities that have a really large portion of the population making just exuberant amounts of money and contributing, you know, insane amounts of money to the, you know, city's bank accounts. And yet the, the roads are in such a dismal <laughs> condition. This... I mean, why yeah. can't the pothole be fixed? I just don't understand. Why is that the case?
2: It's unbelievable, like living in Oregon, where it's like all of Oregon. The roads are amazing, but then once you hit Portland, or same thing with Washington, same all the roads are Washington. Washington yes. And then once you hit Seattle, it's like what third world country is Do this? We live in? Why is
0: it that when I cross the border from California to Nevada or California to Arizona, the roads are immediately back. there's like a line, and, and it's not a state line that you see; it's a road line yeah. that you see. All of a sudden, the road is just you're smooth. like, okay,
2: now you now you know you're in Nevada.
0: Yes, it's like every time we leave. California it's like oh thank god finally like <laughs> it's going to be a smooth ride <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense because it's such a rich state. Yeah. Oh yeah. And sadly, I think this has to do with where the priorities lie of these progressive and left-leaning administrations. Oh, absolutely. Because here in California, we're not only encouraging lawlessness, but we're also rewarding it by providing all these benefits yeah. to a lot of not only illegal aliens, but also a lot of just non-working people who choose not to work. Yeah. Um and it's very sad. And Trump has actually taken historic steps to confront this... Real crisis that is going on in many states across the country, and it's becoming a national crisis now. And it's confronting this crisis by confronting the crisis on our nation's borders. And what he's doing essentially is protecting American communities. Yeah. But not only American communities, he's also protecting minorities because it's usually minorities who are choosing to come to the U.S. legally and illegally through our southern border. Right. And a lot of these minorities are pushed into crossing the border illegally by special interests and some of these tactics also include violence yeah um also some of the people who are crossing the border or encourage others to cross the border are the drug cartels are the human traffickers yeah are the child abusers yeah, for sure. and there's many unfair vocational practices which take advantage of and also underpay legal and illegal workers yeah, yeah. so by combating this crisis um, we're really are able to affect people who are here already minorities who are here already but also people who are promised these great things and then are being treated just terribly mistreated yeah. uh, and horribly abused as they're you know doing this treacherous dangerous track yeah. to cross the border through the Americas. I mean, yeah. it's just insane. Yeah, yeah. And luckily, it's, sad. It's, it's, so sad. it's so sad. And luckily, under the Trump administration, the United States is actually working with Mexico and others in the region, so not just Mexico, to dismantle the human smuggling networks that profit from human misery and fuel the border crisis by exploiting vulnerable populations who, again, tend to be, unfortunately, minorities. Yeah. And his administration negotiated agreements with Mexico, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras to help stop the flood of illegal immigration and help stop the surge of aliens arriving at our border. Yeah. And it's interesting because despite strong opposition from Democrats, is actually following through on his promises and is building a wall on our southern border, which yeah. is amazing because despite all of this opposition, the administration is still expected to have approximately 450 miles of new border wall by the end of 2020. Wow,
2: that's amazing even still under
1: coronavirus
0: even still under coronavirus by the end of 2020 despite everything And that just really goes to show you how much when it comes to following through on his promises, how hard he's working, because this is one of his major promises. And I mean, he has received just about every possible obstacle in fulfilling his promise that he could possibly receive both from courts and Democrat-controlled Congress, and even from members of his own Republican Party. Yeah. So, you know, in my eyes, this is incredible that he's actually able to accomplish this and working hard to continue accomplishing this. And, you know, for all the people who are saying, well, these people, crossing into our border, you know, these are refugees and these are poor people who need our help, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I would say that it's true. These are definitely, you know, among some of the people who are crossing the border, we do have some refugees. We have people who are basically escaping oppressive regimes. Communists, by the way, socialist oppressive regimes like the ones in, (laughs) you know, Cuba and Venezuela. But also a lot of these people are being pushed to make this track to the U.S. when they could be asking for asylum in multiple countries along their way. They don't have to come here to the US and coming here to the US is a personal choice that has to do with wanting to receive better economic mobility or because they're being pushed by these special interests. And instead of helping these people by allowing them to come to the US so that they can get better economic mobility, we should really concentrate on reforming these communist social countries from within so that they don't have a place that they need to escape from in the first place. Because a lot of people are escaping not because they want to escape, but because they're literally fearful for their lives. And totally understandable. And totally understandable. And, you know, that's why it's so important that countries like Mexico do more when these people arrive at Mexico's border to help them because the international law states that when someone is escaping an oppressive regime or when someone is escaping because of fear for their life or whatever the reasons are, and when they are a legitimate refugee, they are required to seek asylum at the first safe country that they arrive to. And, you know, more often than not, the first safe country that they arrive is definitely not the U.S. So, you know, that's also something for us to kind of really think about and talk about when we're talking about international law and the plight of refugees. Oh, definitely. Now, speaking of restoring the rule of law, uh, President Trump (laughs) is, you know, upholding the rule of law by restoring the integrity to our asylum system and promoting immigrant self-sufficiency. And this is really, really important because, you know, there's so much so much talk about Trump being anti-immigrant I mean so much Trump uh, so much talk about him being so anti-immigrant and that could just not be further from the truth aside from the fact that his wife is an immigrant. I mean, come on people. His own wife is an immigrant. And the difference is that she became a lawful immigrant of the United States and respected its laws and been very appreciative of what the country has been able to offer her uh, since then. And that's why
2: we have a difference between legal immigrant and illegal illegal immigrant. immigrant. Exactly. And that word has very much so been blurred by Democrats and mainstream
0: media. It's been blurred so much because the connotation of just the word illegal, I mean, I've had so so many friends that argued with me on Facebook about the term illegal alien or illegal immigrant the idea that no one can be illegal because everyone is a human and blah 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 you know the reality is that people can't do illegal acts and when you're an immigrant to this country if you're not following the law you become an illegal immigrant so it's not to say something necessarily specifically about a group of people uh, or uh, an entire race but it's just talking to a specific segment of people who are choosing to ignore the laws and basically just spit at the integrity that the US has created for itself. Yeah. Um and you know, spit at the goodwill that the American government is providing its residents who come here legally. Because at the end of the day, our nation is a nation of immigrants, but it is a nation of legal immigrants and of people who want to follow and support the rule of law that the US has created. Because it worked out for the US. You know, it's the US has had a lot of ups and downs and it's not a perfect system but it's a good system
2: yeah well i think that's the thing is is that a lot of emotion has been wrapped up in the words instead of just looking at it legally and the structures and the rules that have already been implemented from the very beginning breaking that structure down and attaching emotional feelings or morality connected to it uh, every time you use the word illegal immigrant or illegal alien like there's a negative connotation about it like it's a bad thing and in reality all it is is it's a legal thing it's it's legality it has nothing exactly. to do with emotions or feelings
0: that's actually I think it's such a great point and to all the people who are preaching this you know morality in terms of how we deal with the people who come through our border through our southern border illegally I don't see what's moral about someone who happened to win the geographical lottery simply because they happened to come from the south of our border as compared to someone from I don't know let's say Ukraine or one of the disputed territories in Georgia how it's somehow more moral for them to skip the line and come here and be able to get immediate immigrant status or even if they go through the system why do they get to skip the line as opposed to someone from maybe Zimbabwe yeah right it just doesn't seem fair and I think that's part of the issues that a lot of conservatives are having because they're saying listen we cannot just let everyone commit we cannot be America cannot be the home for 7 billion people who want to come here or even for like a large portion of the 7 billion people we simply don't have the resources to support everyone so we We need to make sure that everyone that comes here not only be supported, but ideally also self-sufficient. And the way that we get to decide who gets to come here and who isn't should be through some kind of an organized system so that everyone has a fair shot. And this is why we created the lottery system in the first place, to give everyone a chance to come to the U.S., regardless of where they're from, whether they're from south of our border or from a completely different continent, whether they come from a rich country or a third World, poor country. Everyone gets an equal opportunity to become a citizen and an immigrant in this country. Yeah. So I think it was great when President Trump released an immigration plan that fully supported securing our border and modernizing our laws. Yeah. And part of that modernization also included promoting an immigration system that is based on merit. Yeah. Which is a points-based system that helps determine the eligibility of people who want to immigrate to our country through a scoring system. Yeah. And where a certain individual would have to score above a certain threshold number of points that will include factors such as educational level, personal wealth, historic connection with the U.S., uh, their language fluency and yeah. English, maybe if they have existing job offers, yeah. or really anything else. Yeah. Um, this is not specifically meant just for rich white people. Yeah. This could be anyone. Our country has an issue with a lack of truck drivers. So it'd be yeah. great if, you know, people who are coming from third world countries yeah. would be able to emigrate to the U.S. and become truck drivers. And we've met, actually, truck drivers who are immigrants. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, we've met truck drivers who are immigrants. Or, for example, a lot of people are complaining about the fact that we have so many uh, illegal immigrants working the fields because Americans don't want to do these jobs. So maybe we can create some kind of a merit system where these jobs, who Americans don't necessarily want to fulfill, we're able to bring people who are willing to do this and bring them here legally through the merits that they provide. Perfect. Where they don't have to work in the shadows, hiding and fearing ICE officials. The reality is that this is the kind of system that the UK, Canada, Australia, and uh, New Zealand have. Yeah. And so if it's good enough for them and people, Americans always say we should be more like Canada. Well, there (laughs) we go. This is why Canada is so good because they do filter through the people that want to come there. They don't just allow anyone in to the country. They have a vigorous system that really, really determines who comes based on the needs of Canada. And what Canada, the UK, New Zealand and Australia are doing is they're putting their countries first and making them great by making sure that the people who they're letting in to their countries are great by meeting all of the merits that they need. And they want people who speak the language mm-hmm. and they want people to fulfill the kind of jobs that they need to be fulfilled. Jobs of the future, but also jobs that local residents of these countries are not able to fulfill, yeah. such as truck drivers, nursing, or farming. Mm-hmm. And I don't see why America should be left behind when it comes to immigration. Yeah. but I mean that's a, a total digression. From, <laughs> it's a whole other podcast. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast that we could talk about. So going back to the policy changes that Trump has enacted in order to support a minority communities in America I yeah. also want to go back and look at what ICE has been doing in the US because the um, ICE enforcement and removal operations uh, arrested 443,099 aliens in the fiscal year of 2019. Now that's a lot of people. 140 3,099 people that's that's
2: a lot of people for them to arrest
0: that's a lot of people for them to arrest yeah and that sounds like an excessive number and I think a lot of people would just be astounded by how many people are arrested just you know coming home after a hard working day or being pulled over for you know like uh, whatever and all of a sudden they're arrested that's not the case because 86% of those people arrested had criminal records
2: wow 86% of those people
0: had criminal records now the reality is that the places where illegal aliens tend to live in the US happen to be places where the majority of the community is also minority. yeah, And that's one of the largest arguments against removal of these people is because essentially what you're doing is you're making minority communities fearful of a police presence because yeah. they're removing all these people. But the reality is that they're not fearful. Yeah. They're not. And even today, with all the protests going on, a majority of, uh, of the black community, I think it's 63%, uh, somewhere around there, actually support the police remaining the way that it is or even support police funding to increase. They yeah. don't want to see defunding of the police. They don't want to see less police forces in their communities. They want to see more and similarly Hispanic community and the Latino community in America supports the police by over 50% and yeah. they don't want to see defunding or, or removal of police from their yeah. communities. Oh, yeah. So all of this hogwash that we're being sold from you know, <laughs> the, the media and all these you know progressives, the Pelosi's and you know the AOC's <laughs> and the squad about how you know it makes communities fearful it's just factually not true yeah. and as a matter of fact it makes these communities safer and I would argue would actually make them more likely to contact authorities if they know that they would help yeah. because 86% of 143,000 people is a lot of people who I mean, have criminal just, records yeah, that's
2: just crazy
0: wow and you know these are people who are being arrested yeah. and then they're being released back into the wild by the government yeah. into our communities yeah. which becomes the wild more <laughs>
1: <laughs> it becomes a it's wild... just
0: really scary to think about it in yeah. that perspective, yeah. And it's just very sad because that's part of the symptom that caused the increase in human trafficking to the U.S. in recent years. Exactly. Something that Trump has been fighting really hard to end. He's actually fought to end the egregious crime of human trafficking and specifically women, right? It's specifically this pertains to women and children. And the U.S. before the Trump administration was one of the worst committers of um, human trafficking trafficking in the world. One of the worst and this is something that Trump has really made a staple of his administration to fight this. Yeah. And in 2019, ICE and the HSI, the Homeland Security Investigations, arrested 2,197 criminals associated with human trafficking and identified 428 victims, wow. which is just a drop in the bucket, Yeah. you know, compared to what is going on. But again, you know, the president is really changing the narrative of the U.S., allowing all these human traffickers and slaves who are coming to the U.S. And as a result, he signed the Trafficking Victims Protection Reauthorization Act, which timed criteria for whether countries are meeting standards for eliminating trafficking. So now the U.S. went from being one of the worst offenders of human trafficking in the world. That's incredible. I did not know that. Yeah, uh, no, it's 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 really incredible because, you know, we're going from being one of the worst in the world offenders yeah. to tightening criteria for whether countries are meeting standards for eliminating the trafficking. Wow. It's, it's a complete shift. Yeah. You know, and we had an administration, the previous administration that touted how they're all about, you know, women and, you know, yeah. minority groups and all Me these too. things. Me too, yeah. And then, you know, well, and the Me Too, which happened under uh, Trump too, but that's a huge organization that talks about, you know, Me Too and women's rights and blah, blah. Blah, but here's uh, you know the president who's really doing something about it and yeah. personally i would love it if elisa milano tweeted about this yeah, and yeah. said hey let's support this initiative yeah you know instead of some other crap that she's tweeted about <laughs> so. no but for real because i mean president trump established a task force to help combat the tragedy of missing or murdered native american women and girls why don't we hear about this yeah. right like oh,
2: yeah. we hear about all like how anti-woman he is yeah oh how, but- how anti-woman he is how anti-gay he is how an oh, anti-minority he yeah. is how anti-Jew he is, which is
0: hilarious <laughs> to me, specifically as a Jew. We yeah. hear so much about how he's so anti-Semitic, a yeah. Nazi practically, yeah. You're practically Hitler yeah. in, the, <laughs> in the Oval Office, <laughs> right? And it's just it's so funny because his own daughter is yeah. Jewish. His daughter is and son-in-law are both Jewish, okay? Orthodox Jewish, not just yeah. Jewish, you know, blah blah, blah blah. They're religiously Orthodox Jewish, yes. okay? His grandchildren are Jewish he has received so many awards from Jewish organizations from the ACLU from Israel itself as well Uh, you know much earlier even before he was president and during his presidency it's just a laughable idea and in in my mind yeah and it's just interesting because unlike the Democrats the president has actually taken decisive action to combat the scourge of hate crimes and anti-semitism that's rising in America yeah he's taken decisive action he signed an Executive order making it clear that Title uh, VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 applies to discrimination rooted in anti Semitism okay other administration did not do this but he's made it clear um, his administration also launched a centralized website to educate the public about hate crimes and encourage reporting Yeah. and it's funny because you know even my friends I have so many friends including Jewish friends who we talk politics and you know a lot of them are telling me listen you know yes you're conservative and a right wing you know but we still love you You you're still (laughs) you're still our friend and you know when the Nazis you know when Trump and you know the rest of your Nazi friends are going to come after you yeah. You know, we'll be there for you later. And it's just funny because I feel like, on the contrary, when they come after you, yeah. you know, the GOP doesn't have a problem with Elon Omar or uh, Rashida Clive They don't have a problem with the anti-Semitism. The GOP was able to support Trump's fight against anti-Semitism. Why weren't the Democrats able to support the same, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. good question.
0: And it's just fascinating because since January 2017, the Civil Rights Division at the GOJ has obtained 14 convictions in cases involving. Attacks or threats against places of worship. Okay, it's important because in March two thousand nineteen, the Democrat-controlled House struggled to rebuke the blatantly anti-Semitic remarks from then freshman Representative Ilan Omar and Rashida Tlaib. And rather than forcibly denounce anti-Semitism within their own ranks, they actually passed a watered-down resolution calling out all hatred in general, right? Because two members or three or four members of the Democrat-controlled House were not in agreement in terms of adding anti-Semitism. And the Democrats actually had to back away from it. And, you know, listen, the idea of calling out hatred uh, in general is a great message. Yeah, But it was completely non-responsive to the actual historical moment of the time. Yeah, it's just, I mean, actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words, exactly. And so, you know, Nancy Pelosi can talk about how anti-Semitic Trump is and how he's colluding with all these white supremacists or whatever, but the actions of what he's actually doing contradict that to the T, whereas the actions that the Democrats and the Democrat-controlled House are doing, they're showing. I'm not saying that uh, Nancy Pelosi is a huge anti-Semite. On the contrary, she fought hard against her Democratic colleagues to add anti-Semitism, in their resolution, she just failed miserably against the growing segment of what is today the left, of what is today makes up a large portion of the Democratic Party and what represents progressivism.
2: Well, because her her Democratic Party is not her Democratic
0: Party anymore. It's not. It's no longer her Democratic Party. And I think her, her, you know, days are well, I mean, she's also 130 years old. Obviously, (laughs) her days are numbered in Congress. But, you know, I doubt she will have more than one more term uh, as Speaker of the House. And, you know, again, contrast that with the Republican Controlled Senate, right? Because in the Republican Controlled Senate, you had Democrats and Republicans working together. You had Senator Ted Cruz, of all people, right? Super right wing. And Team Kane, who um, ran as a vice president under a Clinton ticket, both of them led the Senate in embracing a resolution in June of 2019, so just three months after Democrats failed to do so in the Congress, that thoroughly and unequivocally condemns anti-Semitism in all of its ugly forms. So you have something that started out with the president, and then really stalled in a Democratic-controlled Congress, yeah. and then again revived in a Republican- controlled Senate. Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about the roles that Republicans and Democrats play in terms of their support for minority groups, I know that for uh, my minority group uh, that I belong to, one of the minority groups that I belong to as a Jew, I would much rather be aligned with Republicans today than I would with Democrats. Because unlike the House, the Senate resolution actually offers a sweeping historical view of anti-Semitism across borders and millennia. It recognizes that the virus of anti-Semitism is different than other forms of hatred. It has occurred both overseas and domestically, and it requires a unique and targeted condemnation, Yeah, which is something that again, Democrats and leading Democrats, including Joe Biden, have failed to do on multiple occasions.
2: Yeah, and I just have to say to all of the Jews who are out there who are listening right now, really look at the actions. Look at the actions of what um, is actually being done, and not listen to the words, you know, because the words get so jumbled up, and you don't know what the truth is in the words. All you know is the truth is within actions.
0: It's true. And I mean, words do matter. Don't get me wrong. Words do matter. But when we live in a world of just snippets of what people are saying, sound bites. bites. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) No one's actually listening to the entire news briefing that President Trump is doing. No one is actually reading every single word of that news briefing, unless you're, you know, someone who's totally obsessed, like like me or (laughs) other people out there. And so all we're hearing is like a snippet on CNN. The New York Times or, you know, wherever, where they're talking about, you know, they're taking things out of context in terms of what uh, Trump is doing and saying. And it's, you know, you could say the same thing about the Democrats. And that's why we urge you to look at the actual actions. Yeah. Because when it comes to the actions, very few presidents have done what Trump has done in terms of supporting Jews. Yeah. And one of the things that really matter to Jews are the matters of the state of Israel. And that's something that I, as a Jew, obviously, uh, as an Israeli as well, you know, take, Mm -hmm heart it's very important to me as well yeah and it's something that unfortunately the progressive wing of the democratic party was really able to uh dive a wedge between jewish america and their connection to the state of israel which is really the only home around the world specifically designated for jews yeah
2: the only home for jews the only
0: home right? Yeah. I mean, there's countries where Jews are safe to live in, right. and the U.S. is one of them, but there's only really one country around the world where Jews don't have to worry about anti-Semitism, and that is Israel. Mm-hmm. They have a whole host of other issues, yeah. but anti-Semitism is not one, and it's kind of great because since taking office, President Trump has taken historic steps to support and defend our cherished ally, Israel, yeah. uh, which is something that the Obama administration has promised to do and failed to do mm-hmm. in their terms, in my opinion, and definitely something that Obama Biden has talked about for decades now or almost half a century
2: Yeah, (laughs) 40
0: 40 plus years yeah
2: in politics
0: trump did what many presidents before him have come and promised that they would do including barack obama and including biden as his vp and including biden every single time he's run for president all 74 times of those (laughs) where he ran for president he's promised to do the same thing and trump has actually made good on his promise and he recognized jerusalem as the true capital of israel and Moved the United States Embassy there. Yeah. And it was interesting because a lot of the people on the left have said that this is going to lead to violence and bloodshed, which is a part of the reason why a lot of presidents have postponed this move every six months because uh, it was actual U.S. law that required the U.S. to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital, and then each president just pushed
2: it back, another, pushed six it back months. another
0: six months, where Trump finally didn't. Yeah. And despite what many people fear that it would bring to bloodshed and violence, Israel is actually building closer ties with its Arab neighbors. There you go. And it's just very interesting because if you guys remember uh, Barack Obama's first international trip, the first thing he did was basically an apology tour, going to Egypt and all these Arab states yeah. apologizing for what America is doing, whereas Trump is actually standing strong with his allies, standing strong with Israel, and what it's now doing, it's bringing a lot of these Arab countries out of the fold and into the open arms of western society yeah. where they're reforming from within with the help of of our president's assistance. And they're actually warming up and opening ties with the state of Israel. And that's really something that is going to help create not only just peace in the Middle East, but potentially global peace. I'm not saying Trump is Mother Teresa or Gandhi or anything like that (laughs) where he's going to, bring world peace, but I will definitely argue that through his actions, the probability of creating peace around the world, a real and true lasting peace. Not just peace on paper. Not just or you peace know, just
2: to last during its term.
0: Right. Or not just peace that will last during its term. Not something that's, you know, signed with all the bells and whistles and, you know, like the Oslo Accords of the 1990s that brought in destruction and chaos in the Middle East region. Actual real peace potential between between countries who are now openly warming ties to one another. Yeah. Really thanks to him. He's completely reshaping the Middle East region which is, you know, arguably one of the most explosive regions in the world. So <laughs> it's it's kind of incredible. Yeah. On top of that, he's also acknowledged Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights and declared that Israeli settlements in the West Bank are not inconsistent with international law and are not an obstacle to a peace between Israel and its neighbors because the reality is as Israel has maintained over and over again that these settlements would not be an issue when Israel needed to withdraw from settlements they did during the 90s in the Oslo Accords Uh, they also unilaterally withdrew from Gaza and received you know uh, thousands of of rockets firing into them now, uh, indiscriminatory yeah. into indiscriminately into various parts of uh, of Israel, and really endangering a lot of innocent civilians, including us when we were there, having to yeah. run into bomb shelters, yeah. which was just incredibly scary, really, yeah. to to live through. Yeah. And you know, at least now we have a president who says, "Listen, through any negotiations, whatever you have, these settlements are not going to be." Uh, an issue in these negotiations because Israel in the past has already said that they're willing to give up more than 98% of their settlements and the remaining 2% transferred from actual Israeli territory Mm -hmm. so this is really not an issue this is an issue that could be negotiated in terms of what the territory is going to consist and look like but at least we have a president that's actually acknowledging the real circumstances on the ground and saying that the relationship between Israel and its neighbors and the pursuit of peace in the Middle East does not have to be tied to the Israeli-Palestinian situation. And that is a completely new and different and really forward-thinking approach when it comes to this situation that for many people in the Jewish community in the U.S., for the majority of the people in the Jewish community in the U.S., is a really important issue. Yeah. But here's the thing, though. He's not only changing the facts on the ground for people in the Middle East, and those include, obviously, Jews that hold Israel in high regard and really feel that what's happening to Israel uh, is really important to their personal needs, but also to a lot of Muslims who've escaped these oppressive countries and came to America and are now able to see their countries reforming and bettering themselves. That's exciting for everyone. Mm -hmm. But he's not only doing that, he's actually changing things internationally on a much grander level. The president removed the United States from the United Nations Human Rights Council due to the group's blatant anti-Israeli bias.
2: Yeah, which was absolutely huge that he
0: did that it was huge it's incredibly gutsy too to do because this is something that presidents have talked about uh, decades now about doing since the human council was created they've been talking about it for decades now because of the structure is just inherently biased yeah. towards israel and it's just interesting because we hear about human rights council all the time you hear people like aoc and ilan omar and Rashida Tlaib constantly talking about it you know maxine waters constantly talking about it but what a lot of people don't realize is that some of the members actually new members forget some of the existing members new members of the human rights council include libya which is now grippled with a civil war since the ousting of their dictator uh, Muhammad Gaddafi Sudan uh, Venezuela which is now going through complete chaos since their last election and also
2: in Sudan I mean how many Sudanese refugees are in Israel so it's actually kind of interesting interesting they're against Israel but a lot of Sudanese refugees actually are going to Israel (laughs) it's
0: actually really funny because a lot of the countries who are in the Human Rights Council have a lot of refugees (laughs) who have come to either the U.S or actually Israel because there's a lot of uh, non-Jewish refugees who have fled uh, Sudan and other African countries uh, to Israel for safety. Uh, It includes Venezuela and Poland who's recently been on an anti-LGBT legal tirade as well and Indonesia who has a terrible human rights record when it comes to women and minorities in their country. And well, also LGBT as well. Well, yes. And the LGBT community as well. Absolutely. And these are just the new members. So, existing members of the UN Human Rights Council include Afghanistan because that's a super human rightsy country, right? <laughs> human Self, right-sy, human rightsy country. <laughs> we have Afghanistan, Bahrain, Bangladesh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. I always love it when a country has the word Democratic Republic of because you immediately know it's not democratic whatsoever. It's totally authoritarian. Yeah. Like the Democratic Republic of North Korea um eritrea india who, that has uh, a horrible uh, human rights uh, history when it comes to uh treating women and actually yeah. india was voted as the most unsafe country for women in the world yeah that's right um we have pakistan qatar senegal somalia uh togo and ukraine yeah as well and the previous members of the human rights council include china yeah right <laughs> Super human rightsy um, <laughs> Cuba. Egypt, Iraq, Rwanda, and Tunisia. I mean, just like. It's a yeah, joke. It's yeah. really a joke that the U.S. even took part in this. And it's a joke that the U.S. actually listened to this council. Yeah, It participated and legitimized it. And finally, President Trump has promoted democracy throughout the Western Hemisphere and imposed heavy sanctions on the regimes of Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua, yeah. despite the fact that they're members of the Human Rights Council, <laughs> war members, or whatever. You know, this is, I think, the main difference between yeah. what Biden is offering and what Trump trump is offering yeah because these countries venezuela cuba nicaragua a lot of people just like i hold israel in my heart as a jew but also as an israeli we have a lot of latin immigrants and a lot of american hispanics who really care about what's happening in venezuela really care about what's happening in cuba and really care about what's happening in nicaragua and he's actually doing something about it to help these people from within
1: yeah something
0: that american administrations have failed to do for decades again and decades. promised to do and promised to do yeah. and one of the ways that he's done this is by reversing the previous administration's disastrous reproachment with Cuba which only benefited the country's dictatorship instead of its people this is important because in the US we have a huge cuban american population yeah. most of them are in within the florida area as most of us know this is a really uh, big deal and it's kind of interesting because the majority of cuban americans were actually against obama's policies which helped Trump actually win Florida. Yeah. I really think that if it wasn't for Obama's policy in terms of rapprochement with Cuba, yeah. it's very possible that Clinton would have actually won Florida. So wow,
2: that's interesting.
0: It, it's it's very interesting because a lot of the Cubans who are now in Florida actually escaped this you know, socialist and authoritarian dictatorship, right. this regime, this dangerous regime. Yeah, And this is a regime that Obama and Biden didn't really have much of a problem working closely with. Yeah. It's sad, but it's also scary. Yeah. Trump also enacted a new policy, which was aimed at stopping any revenues from reaching the Cuban military or intelligence services. So he's imposed stricter travel restrictions. And he reaffirmed the focus, ensuring that the Cuban authoritarian regime does not profit from U.S. remittance dollars meant to help the local starving and really struggling population. Oh, yeah. So he did that by putting a cap on the remittance dollars that people are able to send to Cuba. he also enabled Americans to file lawsuits against persons and entities that traffic and property confiscated by the Cuban regime. The first time that these kinds of claims have been available for Americans under the Helms Burdens Act. Yeah. So on the one hand, you have the Obama and Biden administration that basically bolsters authoritarian dictatorships yeah. against the will of the Cuban people yeah. living in the US. And then you have President Trump who actually listened to the Cuban people and yeah. said, okay, I heard you. Yeah. You guys are not so supportive of the steps that the Obama administration took forward. So I'm going to not only step back, but I'm going to make sure that the money that you sent to Cuba for your families, for your starving families, because of the socialism and communism yeah. that uh, is grappling in Cuba and people are suffering under, yeah. I'm going to make sure that those dollars are going to reach the intended purposes that they're being sent for. Yeah. Which is amazing. Oh yeah. So It's just completely two different ways uh, to look at the world and see where you can benefit people the most. And I think what Trump has shown is that he's willing to listen to people and minorities in general and not just talk at them, but actually listen on the ground level to what they want and what they need for him to do in order to get their vote. And that's what he's done. And that's why his approval ratings were so high amongst minorities in the US compared to other GOP candidates. Oh yeah, And it's not just Cuban Americans that he's listening to. He's also listening to the really big and growing Venezuelan population here in the US. And he stood with the democratically elected National Assembly and the Venezuelan people. And he worked to cut off the financial resources of the Maduro regime, especially following the corrupt election, since Maduro is refusing to step down. So, you know, thanks to the pressure from President Trump, he was able to rally a coalition of 58 countries that followed. And I think now it's actually 59 or 60 countries. So, you know, but still about 60 countries that followed the president's leadership and recognized Juan Guaido as the legitimate leader of Venezuela. Yeah. An interesting point. We just talked about Israel uh, not too long ago, but Israel has not recognized Juan Guaido as the legitimate leader of Venezuela because Maduro completely severed the ties between Venezuela and Israel, and interesting thing enough, I think within the next coming days, we're actually expected to hear that the newly elected leader that the Western world has recognized, Juan Guaido, is actually going to reestablish and restart the relationship with Israel, and of course, Israel will then be able to recognize him as the official leader. So I just thought that's kind of a, a cool little side fact, yeah. since we literally just talked about it. yeah, yeah. But just to have that in comparison, only about 20 countries recognized Maduro's uh, Regime following the election. So you have 60 countries on one end and 20 countries on another. Yeah. And you can guess which side of history the Trump administration is. Yeah. Because the countries that are not standing with the U.S. and the countries who are actually supporting this terrible regime in Venezuela are countries such as Iran and China and Russia. Yeah. So, you know, to all the people who are saying that Trump is somehow Putin's puppet, it just does not make sense when no. you look at the facts on the ground because Trump is literally disturbing everything that Putin is trying to do internationally. And in terms of his global geopolitical ambitions, Trump has been like a sore thumb <laughs> in everything that Putin has been trying to do. Whereas Obama, on the other hand, and yeah. Biden, Consequently, being part of that administration, completely rolled over yeah. for Putin to uh, let him do whatever he wanted, whether it was in Latin America or the Middle East or Africa or Asia. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, it's under the Obama regime that we've seen Russia's expansionist ambitions come to fruition, not under Trump.
2: A lot of projecting.
0: <laughs> and I think that there's a lot, a lot of projecting right there. And again, it's important because this is what the Venezuelan people of this country want. They don't want to see their home country just continue to get pummeled and destroyed by these socialist communist policies and and authoritarian leaders. And another way that he supported the ambitions of Venezuelan Americans for their home country is by blocking all property of the Venezuelan government in the jurisdiction of the United States. Yeah. So he's really making it hard for this regime who's refusing to step down after a democratic election loss to operate. And he sanctioned key sectors of the Venezuelan economy exploited by the regime, including the oil and gold sectors. So just to give a few examples, his administration sanctioned Maduro's key financial lifelines, including the Venezuelan Central Bank, the Venezuelan Development Bank, and Petróleos de Venezuela, which is the Venezuelan state-owned oil and natural gas company. He's also directed the Treasury Department to impose sanctions against senior officials. So he's really doing a lot by listening to the Latin community. community in the United States and seeing what they care about and the people that they've left behind so that these people don't have to flee their home countries, go through this dangerous track across Southern America, and then held hostage through these traffickers, drug cartels, or whatever, and making this dangerous jump through the U.S. border. He's really trying to change and give hope to people at the source of where they are. It's funny
2: because um, the Democrats always accuse him of being a dictator and just coming in and doing whatever he wants to benefit his pocketbook but in reality (laughs) he's actually listening to the people what they
0: want i love when they say this is trump taken straight out of the you know dictator's handbook or whatever but the reality is that obama and biden were the ones that cozied up to all the dictators around the world and trump is actually the one that's doing something about it but no one's talking about it why why is no one talking about it
2: well we already know the answer to that (laughs) I, I, i
0: guess we do and that's why it's so important you guys that as you guys are listening to this, I really hope that, I know that's a lot of information, we throw a lot, but I really hope that it helps you so that when you guys are going to, you know, talk to your family members or friends or when you guys are going to argue on Facebook, I really hope that these are going to be some tools that are going to help you in being able to stand up for what you already know is right Right. and be able to argue things in an articulate way so that your point gets across without being judged as, you know, a racist or you know whatever yeah. other derogatory term we're constantly being thrown at as Trump supporters or just conservatives in general yeah but you know again it doesn't stop there because he's also listened to the Nicaraguan people of this country <laughs> and there's, there's more a lot of this <laughs> yeah in this country right he's directed the treasury department to impose sanctions against senior officials in the Nicaraguan regime for their role in human rights abuses and undermining democracy in their country again causing a flood wave of people escaping their country yeah. and taken advantage of during their escape. And in general, it's just amazing to see because what we're seeing now is that the older population of these countries that we talked about are very much supportive of the president's policies because they know what it's like to come from a socialist and a communist regime. They know what it's like to live in these places yeah. and they don't want to see America transformed into this. And I think that's why it's so brilliant for you know progressives and people like AOC and Bernie Sanders to say well you know this is a different kind of socialism right socialism that hasn't been tried before democratic socialism and when you ask them where does it work the answer is nowhere because it never never worked and if people ever bring up Nordic countries or Scandinavia just tell them that even the Scandinavian countries and leaders will say that their countries are completely capitalistic societies yeah and they don't run on socialist ideals whatsoever
2: yeah they have social programs
0: they have social programs just like the state does they might have a few more a few less but you know it's these are not democratic socialist countries because they fail everywhere yeah and it's just sad because a lot of our younger uh latino and hispanic generation doesn't understand it and doesn't know it and i just i really hope we're able to, to spread the word and help explain it in a better way because the reality is that under president trump's leadership the latino american community has thrived yeah right because the latino american segments of our population have experienced record low unemployment reaching below 4.2% before the coronavirus, the Hispanic American unemployment rate hit several record lows in 2019, including falling below 4% for the first time <laughs> in history. Once again, for the first, first time, time in, in, history. in history. Yeah. More than 2.9 million jobs have been created for Latino Americans since the president was elected. I mean, yeah. for Latino Americans. Yeah. And the median Latino American income rose by $1,786 during President Trump's first year in office. Wow. So within 12 months because of Trump's economy, not Obama's economy, but Trump's economy, the actual income that Latino Americans have received has risen by 1786 Dollars, yeah. Okay. That is a lot of empanadas and <laughs> tacos and delicious vegan burritos. <laughs> vegan burritos. <laughs> so, you know, that a lot of people can enjoy. Yeah. And I mean, just to like put this into context, right? I mean, just think about it in context. In 2017, the median Latino American income hit its highest ever recorded level. It was $50,486. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Since Trump took office, the Latino American homeownership rose by more than a percentage point so it went from 46.3 percent to 47.4 percent homeownership among latino americans okay yeah. and we know that the best way to build wealth is to become a homeowner yeah in america that's why it's so important because it's so difficult to build wealth as a renter and unfortunately specifically when it comes to our latino and hispanic american communities still the majority tend to be renters and yeah. that blocks them or prevents them and makes it harder for them to build wealth and generational wealth right and this is where it's so important and how his policies are affecting people and and while affecting generations to come in generations to come (laughs)
2: broken record
1: (laughs) right
0: and again you know we're talking a lot about minorities and we're saying you know black america hispanic america jewish america we have an asian population that we don't really get to hear a lot about because the asian population for the most part in the u.s tends to do really really well and actually in many aspects of american life research shows that asian americans tend to actually do better than pretty much all minorities as well as caucasian americans white americans you know still it just kind of shows you that trump's policies are not only benefiting specific you know segments of our population but he's literally lifting everyone up yeah. including asian americans which saw the lowest ever record unemployment rate again the lowest ever for asian americans which was 2.1 percent and that came in june 2019 yeah so to be fair it ticked up a little bit higher to 2.5% which was near a historic low in December yeah but still I mean those numbers are just unreal that's an yeah. incredible any segment of American population would love to have unemployment uh, rates at
2: 2% two, <laughs> pre- yeah two whatever percent <laughs>
0: below 3% yeah so you know it's just incredible yeah and that's just another minority that we're talking about so we're there's just so many and we can break it down into so many subgroups of our American society and yeah. see how he's benefiting every single one of these groups. But again, we specifically chose to talk about the major groups in the US that are minorities specifically, just in terms of their actual population size. So you know, we talked a lot about Black America in our previous podcast, but there's a lot that we didn't cover when it comes to Black America, and specifically the numbers. We talked about the policies and how they affect, but um, we didn't necessarily talk about the results of the policies that Trump has affected. we talked about what the intended results of those policies are. Right. So despite all of the racist charges against President Trump, all of the protests, and BLM promising to not stop the violence until Trump is removed from office, the reality about who Trump actually is and what he stands for couldn't be further from the truth than what these charges are. Yeah. And again, I mean, this is maybe not a really big deal, but I think it's kind of worth noting that even Trump's spokesperson during his 2016 campaign was was Katrina Pearson, who was a black woman. Yeah. And I believe, don't quote me on this, but I believe that was the first ever, once again, possible record here, the first ever black woman spokesperson for a campaign, for a presidential campaign, which again is amazing. So, and you know what? Even long before he was running for president, you had Donald Trump who was battling racism and anti Semitism using every tool at his disposal when he opened his Mar a Lago Club in Palm Beach, Florida. He actually insisted on being able to accept Jews and blacks, even though other clubs in the area did not yeah that's never talked about it's never talked about but i think he's talked about it so much that i'm hoping most people know this yeah but if they don't you know if you come across someone that doesn't know this please remind him this because i think this is actually the best representation of what donald trump stands for Mm -hmm. because he fought local politicians and he claimed that they supported established private clubs in town that had excluded jews and blacks i mean just straight up racism yeah right completely straight up racism and segregation and at the time the Washington. Washington Post reported that Trump's lawyers even sent every member of the town council copies of two classic movies about discrimination. First one was A Gentleman's Agreement, which was about a journalist who pretended to be Jewish in order to expose anti-Semitism. And guess who's coming to dinner about a white couple's reaction to their daughter bringing home a black fiancé? Yeah. Uh, Which is just, you know, incredibly symbolic uh, because, you know, he's filed a $100 million lawsuit in the U.S. District Court in Palm Beach, alleging that the town discriminated against Mar-a-Lago because he chose to accept blacks and Jews think about it he could have easily solved that problem if he just you know followed the line and basically of everyone else and said you know what sorry guys sorry Jews sorry blacks can't accept you would love to check out my other clubs in other places but no he actually fought them yeah and spent a lot of resources in order to fight this injustice yeah and at the time uh, in 1997 the president of the anti defamation league who now says that Trump is anti-Semite who now Now says that Trump's policies are racist. At the time, the president of the Anti-Defamation League, Abraham Foxman, actually praised Trump for elevating the issue of discrimination at private clubs and telling the Wall Street Journal that he put the light on Palm Beach, not on the beauty and the glitter, but on the steamier side of discrimination, and it has an impact. Wow. Okay, so the same groups. Isn't it incredible? It's just flip-flop, right? It's just ironic, and I have to tell you, for me, it's incredibly sad, because I worked with the ADL when I was in college, and I dealt with an anti-Semitic professor, and it's just very sad for me to see an organization that really fought against discrimination, anti-Semitism, and racism in general, and the ADL started as a Jewish organization fighting anti-Semitism, and they've really expanded to fight all kinds of racial racism discrimination and not just racial but just any yeah. discrimination against any member of our society and it's just really sad to see them become so political because yeah. this used to be an apolitical organization that was highly respected and now it's very partisan and yeah. I don't see how they're going to reform and rebrand themselves as a non-partisan group after what they've done during the Trump administration it's really sad because the yeah. ADL had a really great legacy of standing up for human rights and now it It's going to have a legacy of uh, being politically partisan. So, you know, very sad. And actually at the time, Foxman also credited Trump's move with encouraging other clubs in Palm Beach to do the same as Mar-a-Lago and opening up. That's amazing. So, you know, not only did Trump, open up his own club, but he's completely pulled the rug under, you know, racist policies in this town that forced other clubs, uh, if they wanted to keep up, it forced them to cancel these racist practices uh, that they've had. And,
2: I mean, this wasn't too long ago. I mean, this was in the
0: 90s. That's this amazing. was in the 90s, which unfortunately, I mean, that's, you know, at this point, almost like 30, <laughs> like 30 years ago. But the, the point is that, you know, still, it's way before he even thought of running for yeah, office. Exactly. So this really shows you what the true colors of this man is. And that's part of the reason why he's received so many awards from both Jewish and black organizations and Hispanic organizations and so many other organizations. And another, I think this is a hugely important point to make. Because unlike many other politicians who never had to confront discriminatory segregationist practices before and after they ran for office, Trump actually has a solid track record on this very issue. Yeah. He really, really does. And that's the real Donald Trump, right? He determined that he would do things differently. He actually dealt with a real problem having to do with discrimination based on race and religion in Palm Beach long before he was ever seeking public office. And he confronted a powerful local planning board over its policies pertaining to exclusivity yeah okay now Biden on the other hand who is now seeking the keys to the Oval Office as a senator actually led the charge for mandatory sentencing which we talked uh, just not too long ago and that led to the incarceration of millions of black people and other minorities for minor offenses and he also talked about his opposition to court ordered school busing
2: yeah this is fascinating
0: at the time famously saying that unless we do something about this my children are going to grow up in a jungle right now again i just want to quote this out like this is a direct quote from biden unless we do something about this my children are going to grow up in a jungle
2: i mean just imagine if trump said something like that i mean that that would be it that would be it that that would be be the
0: end right and it's just crazy (laughs) because they're tying trump to all these like ku klux klan members and you know all these like white supremacists but the reality is that it was biden who showered his mentor the late ku klux klan leader and senator robert beard with praise as a mentor, a friend, and a guide.
1: He was a friend, and he was a mentor, and he was a guide.
0: Yeah, and it's just, I don't understand why the media is covering for Biden. Well, I mean... (laughs) It still doesn't make any sense to me. I get that they want him in office, but there's just so much there. And they're completely covering his racist past, his racist policies that have hurt the minority community in America greatly, but also just a lot of what he says is just flat-out racist. It it really amazes me. And the sad thing is that the majority of blacks in America actually support Trump's policies on be known to them because a lot of these policies that are actually benefiting them, most of them support. They just don't know that these are the policies that are supported by Trump. Yeah, exactly. Keeping them in the dark. Right. Because as soon as minorities, and specifically black people, because they vote for Democrats in overwhelming numbers compared to any other group, keeping them in the dark and uneducated is really the best way to make sure that they continue to vote for you. Well, of course, yeah. Because once they find out what Trump actually stands for, they leave the Democratic plantation. Yeah. And they walk away. They leave the left.
2: And this is why there's organizations like
0: Blexit. Exactly. Like Blexit, like walk away, like uh, left the left all of these you know uh, Jexodus all of these organizations are meant for people who are finding out what the truth the truth right and what the GOP and more specifically what Trump is also like doing for their segments of the population that they care about yeah I mean just to like put this in perspective right the Trump administration proposed a new five billion dollar annual tax credit to promote school choice yeah okay now this is something that the left absolutely hates they hate school choice they don't want to see this happen they're fighting against But the reality is this move is supported by two thirds of black Americans. That's amazing. That's amazing because 66% of black Americans want to be able to choose where to send their kids. And, you know, maybe it has to do with the fact that they live in subpar neighborhoods that are not as economically affluent as a lot of their representatives and white America. And they want to be able to send their children to the same schools that white Americans send their children to. They want to be able to send their children to the same schools that Nancy Pelosi's children and grandchildren get to. To well, get
2: to enjoy. <laughs> of course
0: right but they don't get to do it yeah and that's what is so sad about this and another thing that black americans support in really big numbers is what trump has been fighting for which is a federal tax credit on donations that fund scholarships to private schools which again is a proposal that's supported by 64 percent of african americans so nearly two-thirds of african americans are supporting this and yeah. you know these are huge numbers yeah. this is not like a 50 50 like no. this is an overwhelming majority, and the only reason why i could think that democratic leadership does not support the same policies and doesn't even talk about these policies within their local communities is because they understand that once black people are able to better themselves once they're able to better educate themselves and once they're able to receive these scholarships to go to these private schools they're no longer going to vote for the democratic party because they're going to wake up and they're going to leave this plantation this horrible plantation that they're under it's really sad to seeing it's really sad to see it really really is
2: yeah and that's why it's so important what trump is actually
0: doing it is because he's really fighting to improve the lives of minorities in this country and specifically black american lives in this country despite the obstructionist opposition from the democratic party yeah and that's why he's doing things that he can do regardless of how much the democrats obstruct him and that includes advancing the second chance hiring for former prisoners which included launching the Red to work initiative. yeah, And I think we talked about it in our last podcast yeah. uh, as well, right? And all of these policies culminate in the poverty rate among black Americans reaching its lowest level in history. So under President Trump, 350,000 fewer black Americans are actually living in poverty now. I mean, it, it, to me, that's just incredible because for the one segment of our population, that it is the hardest to get out of poverty. Yeah. It's the black population. And we've really talked about it so much in our first podcast. Yeah, because they're just crippled with so many uh, systemic issues um, yeah. that really block them and prevent them from growing uh, yeah. in their lives, but also just from the cultural affiliation to the Democratic uh, Party because so many of them are now dependent on these handouts that they're getting from the party. And yeah. by having 350,000 fewer Black Americans living in poverty, that means that they're no longer dependent on the government uh, right. for handouts. And that means that their children are are now going to grow up in homes where not only are they not dependent but they're now taking ownership for the course of their lives yeah. for the future of their lives and Trump is really giving people hope yeah, a lot of. that's hope. what it really comes down to yeah. which is incredible and that's also part of the reason why he's created an incredible 1.6 million new jobs for black Americans since his election Yeah, and you know we're pointing this out because obviously every president creates millions of jobs you know they all say and some presidents will lose more jobs and they create but they'll always talk about you know how many jobs they actually create every president creates millions of jobs but what makes this specifically so different is that the jobs that we're seeing the job growth that we're seeing under the Trump administration is not intended just for the white American population. Yeah, It's not just a Caucasian job creation. It's mainly driven by lower socioeconomic job growth, which specifically pertains to Black Americans right. and other minorities, like the Hispanic and Latin population in this country, and Native American population, which I know we didn't talk about uh, much, but it's also worth noting how much the Native American population enjoys the benefits of the policies, and we did talk about them a little bit um, in this podcast. And again, I want to put these numbers in perspective because we're almost done here, and I just really want people to leave this podcast knowing these numbers because we didn't point them out so much in the previous podcast uh, because that wasn't the point of that podcast. But in 2019, the African-American unemployment rate hit a record low, and it actually reached below 7% and remained there for the entire year. As a matter of fact, it was below 7% for 23 consecutive months. Wow. Okay? Prior yeah. to President Trump's administration, the black unemployment rate has never dipped below 7%. Yeah. Ever! Okay? Wow. And in December, the black unemployment rate was 5.9%.
2: Wow, that's incredible, you guys. 5.9%.
0: That's incredible because I think that was actually even below what the unemployment rate was for the general population as a whole when Obama left office. Wow. So It's just really, really amazing how much the black community has benefited under President Trump's term and just minorities in general. Yeah, As a matter of fact, under President Trump, incomes for black Americans have increased by 2.6%. Okay? And again, we talked about this in the last podcast where under Obama's eight years. I mean, think about it, eight years under Obama's term after we've experienced one of the worst recessions in American history. And the unemployment wages actually went down by about $900 when you take into account inflation. And under Trump, because of his policies of deregulation and job creation, uh, black Americans actually saw an increase of 2.6%. Those are huge numbers. 2.6 might not sound like a lot, Mm -hmm. but that is thousands of dollars dollars a year and hundreds of dollars a month for yeah. you know people who are struggling paycheck to paycheck, it's that a makes a
1: big, big, oh, a huge, huge difference. difference.
0: Yeah. And so what we've realized is that black Americans, and again, not just black Americans, but minority Americans, and forget minority Americans, Americans in general yeah. have a true champion yeah. in President Trump. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Finally,
0: we have a real president that really goes down to the structural issues that are plaguing America and really, really going line by line and restructuring what has worked for America and making our system great again. Yeah. And I think that's probably what he meant, you know, when he kept saying, you know, make America great again, make America great again, because the structure that uh, our country is based on Mm -hmm. is very, very strong. It really, really is. We just needed to reform it a little bit and improve on it and just, you know, kind of move it towards the 21st century. Yeah. And that's what Trump has done. And very successfully so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, you guys,
2: thank you so much for joining us on this new adventure of our podcast series. And we really hope that you guys, are really benefiting from these podcasts that you're finding them informational and educational and tools to actually have conversations with your friends and family and when people come against you and be like how can you support Trump he's such a racist he hates minorities you know blah 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 you actually have the facts to fight against that
0: and resources that we will provide for you guys Uh, again it might not be in the description uh, but it will definitely be somewhere whether it's in the comments or somewhere we'll definitely link out the resources that we used to get this information and hopefully you know maybe in the future we're working on some something where we'll just be able to kind of have all of this information in one place for you guys yeah uh, I don't know uncensored. what it going look like uncensored in terms of like podcasts yeah. but also I don't know create some kind of like a, a database or something so that you guys instead of having to do your own research or if you want to uh, find some information that we talked about yeah be able to have it just super accessible and very uh, easily reached and so I I don't know what that's going to look like and you know hopefully we'll be able to do something yeah. uh, like that in the future and until next time bye for now bye you guys